Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And this is Claudio Relsano. As always, we appreciate all of you listening to the show. We have a very, very special guest today. Someone who I watched playing basketball years ago from 1987 to 1991. He was the point guard for Jim Valvano's NC State Wolfpack. He, at one point, was the number one all-time leading assist in NCAA basketball. Now he's number two, but he's still number one for me. He was the first one to have 1,000 assists. He played pro basketball from 91 to 2002. He was in the NBA. He was a second-round pick for the Orlando Magic, and the, he played for the Boston Celtics and the Washington Bullets as well. Then he played in Italy, Spain, Turkey, and Germany, won a championship in Germany and Spain. Now he's a very, very successful businessman in North Carolina, founding Tryon Title Agency in 2007, as well as working in other businesses. He's a husband and a father. Welcome somebody who I admire a ton on the court and off, Mr. Chris Corciani. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you all for having me. All right, brother. You know what? First thing we like to start off with on Italian Impact Weekly is to tell us a little bit about your Italian heritage. Where is your family from over there? Uh, my family's originally from outside of Rome. There's a uh, small town called Viterbo. So a lot of them uh, migrated there. And I didn't really know that until I um, you know, got my Italian uh, passport, my Italian citizenship. And once all that came together, I was able to find out just where my family came from. Okay. And talk about some of the Italian traditions, if any, that your parents brought into the household. So my, my mom and dad are both from South Jersey. Okay. My dad went to the University of Miami, and when he got down there, he loved the weather down in Miami. So he was the only one on both my mom and dad's side that you know, wanted to be away from South Jersey. So he was a school teacher for nine months. So we lived in Miami and then the family would go to New Jersey, South Jersey for three months. And we would live with my grandmother there um, on the shore. And every Sunday, my grandma would cook and it was a revolving door of, I mean, 30, 40 people throughout the day would just come in and the stove would stay on and the sauce and meatballs and sausage and it was just a, a big feast that everyone knew that on sunday my mom was cooking and <laughs> we all were going to eat all day and you never know who, who was going to show up but we had relatives coming and going and that that was uh you know just a special moment that i'll always uh, remember you know, Chris, about 95% of our guests on Italian Impact Weekly have said the exact same thing, including Steve and myself. You know, people come in, and it's always, I like what you said about the stove always being on. Why is that with Italians? I think Italians like to eat. You know, they, <laughs> they, 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 you know it's, I think in years ago, you know, food really brought people together. Right. And, and the Italians are, you know, used to, cooking they're very proud of their heritage they're 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 proud of you know their their sauce and their meatballs and you know it's a thing that i know that uh, you know my grandmother took great pride in it and you know if you didn't eat you know she was really offended <laughs> and right. uh, it's just something that i think italians have always done over the years now i i talk about my parents constantly every show and end up saying something about them or thanking them and there's a story about your dad uh, with your retirement number uh, years ago. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, my dad, um, you know, they, they announced that they were going to retire uh, my jersey at NC State. 
and it was going to be, you know, it was six months, you know, there, my, my dad came down with, with cancer. And so it was almost kind of like a race to see if he could stay alive. They gave him six months to live. And as we got closer to the, the day of the ceremony, he was real sick. It was going to be on a Saturday. And, and on Friday, my brother called from Miami and he said, uh, he said, you know, dad's not going to be able to make it. He just, he's on oxygen, he's in a wheelchair and just, you know, couldn't do it. So Saturday morning came and the phone rang and my, my brother said, you know what, dad wants a flight. You know, he wants to get up there to see your, your Jersey retired. So he flew up and it was, it was the, the most memorable moment of my life was seeing my dad go out to midcourt when my jersey was retired and he you know had oxygen in a wheelchair and he stood up out of his wheelchair started waving to everyone it was his jersey being retired as much as it was mine and uh, he ended up dying the following weekend so he kind of held on because uh you know he wanted to see his son's uh, jersey go on the rafters I like that, what you said, though, that his, his number is going up there as well. That's very nice of you to say that. Very good. Absolutely. Hey, Chris, uh, this is Steve. Hey, um, you know, I want to go back to something. You said you found out a lot about your family when you were getting your Italian citizenship. Did you do that on your own, or were you doing that because you were playing in Italy? I was doing it playing it over in Italy. So when I first went to Italy, I played as an American, and, and rules have changed over the years, but you were only allowed two Americans per team. And a uh, uh, a club that was in Siena, Italy, said, you know, hey, you know, we can get your passport for you, and you can play as an Italian, and we can get two more Americans. So it was something that a, a, a club over there did. But w- what it ultimately did for me, it gave me more value because I didn't take up a a slot that an American could play. I played as an Italian player. Now, they can't just give the citizenship away. So let's go, kind of go back to your family side then. Obviously, you had to trace your lineage, and you probably did it through the bloodline. Uh, who, which side of your family, like, who was closer that you went through that you were able to get your citizenship? Well, to be honest with you, the club did all the research. You know, I was able to get uh, a few passports, and they were able to track exactly, you know, where, where my family originated from. And I was kind of hands-off. They did uh, most of the legwork on that. You know, Viterbo is outside of Rome, and then there's a a Corciano that is a little town that's even out smaller than Viterbo, and I actually had an opportunity to visit that at one point. Now, was this uh, on your uh, mom's side or your dad's side? My dad's side. Okay. Was he born in Italy or was like great-grandparents born in Italy? No, yeah, uh, grandparents were. They came over to Ellis Island. Yeah, so my dad was actually born in New Jersey. Now, Chris, what were your parents' thoughts when you announced that uh, pro basketball was your dream? You know, to be honest with you, I I never really had that as a goal. You know, I played basketball because I loved it. You know, it was the only thing I knew, and I loved the competition. And, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, when I was in high school, a lot of people on Friday and Saturday night, they were going to parties and having a good time. I played basketball. That, that, that was my love. Now, I made up for all the partying a little bit later. But, uh, but it was always a passion just to play. And, you know, when I was in high school, I never really thought about going to play in college. And when I was in college, it wasn't like a goal to play in the NBA or to play overseas. I just, 
lived the moment and, and just enjoyed what I had at the time. And, you know, thank God for me, it was, you know, it opened doors and, you know, I had an opportunity to play at all levels and uh, very thankful, but it wasn't anything I, I actually set out to do. Now, was there, was there a point, Chris, though, when you kind of knew this was going to happen? I mean, besides the obviously being drafted, I mean, was there a point when you're going to college and you're just, you're lighting it up? Is there a point where you're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to get in the pros. Yeah, yeah, to be honest with you, there was, you know, probably after my junior year, uh, a number of agents, you know, reached out to my dad and they, you know, started saying, listen, we'd love to represent, you know, your son. And at that point, you know, I was like, oh, wow, you know, this, this is, this is pretty cool. And I, I wanted to continue playing. Yeah, there was, I guess after my junior year, you know, Coach Belvano sat down with me and my dad and we, you know, talked through a lot of things and, you know, I was, I was excited and ready for the next chapter. You know, I told you uh, briefly how important Jim Valvano was in my life and how great he was with my mom during her illness back in 1988. Uh, one quick story, he had called her, and we had the old black rotary phones, you know, uh, years ago. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He had. I still have mine. <laughs> you still have it? <laughs> so he, he called, and the phone rang, 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 rang. She got up, and I guess she may have been a little winded. He said, I'm so sorry. To, she said, no, I love hearing from you. What about four days later, we got an NC State phone uh, with the big uh, antenna and, and, and that he sent. And I'll tell you something else, Chris. He sent me a watch, an NC State Wolfpack watch. The day that it was official that, you know, he, unfortunately that he left NC State, that watch quit working. That that yeah, damn day, that right? unbelievable. Well, well, good. But <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Which you know we'll, we'll get to that. But you, you tell us. It's all the, the floor is yours, pardon the pun. Your time at NC State, Jim Valvano's impact on you personally, and in the middle there, the the awful thing that happened to him while he was coaching there where, you know, in my opinion, they didn't give him a – obviously he didn't do any of those things they accused him of, and they were proven that it isn't like they just let him go. But your thoughts on playing at NC State for Jim and the, the things he went through during that time and uh, his importance in your life. Uh, what Jim Valvano to me was was probably the greatest man that I ever had the opportunity to spend time with. And when I started being recruited by Coach V, it was special. You know, I was being recruited by Coach K and Coach V, and they both would come to the house. And, you know, Coach K would, would, would tell my mom, I'll make sure Chris gets to church every Sunday because <laughs> Coach K is a, a, a Catholic. and. And my mom wanted me to go to, to Duke so bad because of Coach K. And when Coach B would come to the house, you know, my mom my mom would, you know, make make a big spread of spaghetti and meatballs and, and Coach B would say, Listen, you go do your homework, go play basketball. I'm I'm not recruiting you, I'm recruiting your father because in an Italian household, the father's gonna make the decision. <laughs> And he, he was right. You know, Coach, Coach K was recruiting my mom, and Coach B recruited my dad, and, and my dad ended up winning out. But, you know, you make a lot of decisions in your life that you don't realize at the time are going to really impact you the, the rest of your life. And, and choosing NC State and having the opportunity to, to, to be mentored and coached by Coach Valvano was, was by far the best decision, you know, I ever made. He just – he, he was a brilliant-minded man that, you know, a lot of people think of him as, 
you know, a guy that won that the NCAA championship in 83, but he was much more than that. He was the most brilliant minded person I was ever around. He, you know, taught us that there's a lot more than just basketball. He was so well educated. He was an English major and he would, you know, quote Shakespeare. He'd talk about the, the civil war. He'd talk about opera. He, he just was so well-rounded in so many aspects of life. And, and that has really impacted me to try to emulate that. I haven't done a good job, but I have tried to. No, I don't know but, about that, Chris. Um, I think you have. Then, you know, after my junior year, you know, they, it was very unfortunate. I love NC State, and they've been good to me. But the one big mistake that they made, and I voiced my opinion very, very loudly, is there, there was accusations made about the program and Coach Valvano and everything that was being said, you know, didn't, didn't really become the truth when the before the verdict came out from the NCAA, uh, NC state pushed them out the door. And, and to me, you know, if they would have waited and, and hung by him because he did so much for the university, winning the championship, the, the student enrollment had almost doubled he had done so much that they needed to at least let the dust settle mm-hmm. and, and see what really happened. And, and the things that they found were minor infractions. And the head of the NCAA at the time was a guy named Dave Didion. That's right. And he wrote a letter saying, if I had a son, I would want him to play, you know, for, for you, Coach Valvano. And, um, you know, it was too late at that point. And, um, you know, very, very unfortunate to see someone that uh, was so good to you and, and, and you know, kind of just pushed down the stairs. I, I'm with you a thousand percent in everything you said. And you said the word a couple of times that I've said the word. And obviously, I've, we've named this show Impact. If you remember, Jim said his favorite word in the English dictionary was word impact. And he's had so much impact on his players and people like me and, of course, now uh, with his with his cancer fund, but and, and before Steve asks you his next question, I, I disagree. I think you've done an unbelievable job in um, making Jim proud and doing everything you've done on the court and off the court. And that's something I told him years ago. Whenever he did, obviously he was a head coach. He was an AD. He did commercials. He spoke. He did camps. He uh, he wrote a book, a cookbook. I said, Jim, I want to be the Claudia, the Jim Valvano of baseball someday, and he said, You will, you will, and and I kept all his letters and uh, all that kind of stuff, and uh, so I, I try to emulate him as as best as I can uh, for sure as well, Steve. Chris, yeah, he, he, he's special. He, he sure was. You know what? I want to kind of go back to something though, because so you're in the middle of this, and all this is happening. You know, now the dust settles, and history is what it is. As far as it to use the pun, an impact on you, you know, even after that, over the last, you know, couple of decades, there have been a lot of schools that have been accused of something. Now, some of these schools are guilty, and they've done it, and there's no ifs, ands, or board it, but there's been a lot of players and schools that have been accused of things, and it's like people are quick to throw them under the bus. When you see these kinds of things and kind of knowing what you've gone through with your coach, I mean, how does that impact your thinking? You know, when you're looking at, well, like, is it guilty till proven innocent or innocent till proven guilty? Because a lot of people, you know, all I got to do is make an accusation. You're guilty and you're gone. And it's like, there's too many instances where that's just not, that's just well, not it. Yeah, to, to me, you're innocent until proven guilty. In this case, 
our university didn't take that stance. And I'll tell you a story. When all that happened, we as a team rallied, went to the chancellor. You know, we, we our voices weren't being heard. So when they finally got rid of Coach D, I had one more uh, year left. And there wasn't a transfer portal at the, at the time, but I was going to transfer. So my name was, was out there, and I was being recruited by a dozen schools. And for a three-week period, I went through a recruiting process. I was going to leave NC State. And I got a phone call one day, and it was Coach V. And he said, you know, I want to meet you for lunch. So we went to the Pizza Hut on Western Boulevard, and we sat down, and he said, how are things going? I said, you know, I'm not happy. He said, well, listen to me. He said, what you're doing is wrong. He said, I don't need you to help me. What's been done is done. You, you've you had three great years here. You've got teammates. You've got fans. You, you, I don't want you doing this. Don't, don't do this for me. And he was the one who really talked me out of transferring. And, again, if, if he was a selfish person, he would have wanted me to transfer. But, again, he had my best interest in mind telling me, you know, he told me, he said, don't, don't be a, a stupid ass. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, don't do that. He said, I want you to stay. You deserve to stay. Followed his lead on that. But I was just so kind of disgusted. You know, I'm a man that, that believes in doing the right thing. And I didn't feel that he was treated properly. And it just left such a, a bad taste in my mouth. He didn't want that to happen. Great story and well said, Chris. Now, on the court, question, I don't know if you've ever been asked this. As a point guard, who, what quarterback in NFL history reminded Chris Corciani of himself, the quarterback and the point guard? That's easy, Dan Marino. I knew you were going to say that. I really did. You know, being from Pittsburgh, love Dan. I knew you were going to say that. Why? Oh, just because he was uh, in total control, had great confidence, yeah. um, rallied his team around, uh, just a a phenomenal guy. I had the opportunity to meet him. I'll tell you a quick story. Sure. I got the Italian College Athlete of the Year. There was a high school kid that got the high school, and Dan Marino and Joe Montana got one of them got the Professional Athlete of the Year, and one got the like decade. So we all, the high school kids, said a couple words. I said a couple words. My dad was there, and I said, you know, I want to thank my dad, blah, blah, blah. And then Marino and Montana spoke for a little while. Well, afterwards, I grew up in Miami. I was a huge Dolphin fan, huge Marino fan. I stand in line with you know, maybe 50, 60 people trying to get an autograph and a picture. <laughs> and when I got to the front line, he turned to me and he said, Chris, why don't you go get your pop and come up? you know, come up to my suite and hang out. Uh, well, I had, I had a sheet of paper. I crumbled it up and threw it underneath the table. I didn't want him to think I wanted his autograph. <laughs> I was, I was, so, so I end up going to the front desk with my dad and I say, yeah, you know, this, this again is, is in probably 88. And I said, yeah, what room number is Dan Marino in? And they're like, we can't tell you what room uh, number he's in. So we ended up having to call up there. And uh, eventually got up there, and we walked in, and, and and he threw me a beverage, and and it made me think of the Isotoner commercial, right. you know, when, when he was doing it. 
and and his father was up there, and a, a football player named, named Jimbo Cobra. Sure, it's his roommate. Yeah, and we we just sat up there, um, and it was just a wonderful, you know, night. But to be able to do that with someone that you looked up to and and have your dad experience it with you was was phenomenal. That sounds like something he would do. He's a, he's a really good guy. Um, and, and, and I love that story, and thank you for sharing that. What did your dad say about it? He had to have gotten a kick out of it. He couldn't believe it. He he said that I was so starstruck that I couldn't <laughs> talk, so he kept having to jump in to save me. But, uh, yeah, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you never anticipate that you're going to have an opportunity. Then, you know, you might meet him or shake his hand, but to go up to his suite and, and hear the stories that he was telling with all his cronies and, yeah, it was it was a, a night that I'll never forget. That's nice. Now uh, we definitely want to get to your business uh, career, but at NC State, and obviously I followed you guys. I followed Jim for years. You guys had some really good players, but it goes to show you how tough it is to back then to to go all the way. You know, now it's a one and done, two years max. Back then it was four years, but those teams were really good. Talk about your NC State teams uh, on the on the court the years you were there you know we one thing you know we didn't win any championships when I was there but we were always competitive you know one year we, we won the regular season but we were always in, in the top two or three teams in the league but but our teams played hard we fought you know I can't remember you know a game where we got blown out you know if we lost the game we were we were in it in the last few minutes. And, and a lot of that has to do with coach B, you know, coach B would always say, all you guys got to do is keep it close. If you keep it close, I'll win it for you in the last four minutes. And, and he made you believe that, but uh, yeah, we had Vinny Del Negro and uh, we had another Italian, uh, Brian D'Amico. Yeah. He had Tom Gugliotta, <laughs> but right. Chucky, Chucky Brown, Rodney Monroe, Charles Shackelford. We had some really, talented players uh but like you said you know the, the back then the acc was loaded and you know it was, it was a battle every every night you went out on the court chris let me ask you how many of those guys you still stay in touch with probably half of my team brian diamico and i were both dolphin fans so we we text all the time tom gugliotta and i we we stay in touch rodney monroe sends me a prayer every day so I stay in touch with him. Chucky Brown is a local guy here in Raleigh. So I tend to see a lot of those guys. And then, um, you know, they'll all come into a, you know, a ball game, you know, whether that be football or, or basketball. And, I'll, you know, we reconnect that way. So, yeah, it's been a, a good group of guys that we, we've tried to stay in touch, you know, the best we can. Now, uh, before we go on break, and then we're going to come back and obviously start talking about the business side, uh, let me ask you kind of real quick. So now when, when you're in NC State and you're, you know, when you get drafted and you make that transition over to the pros, mentally speaking, what were some of the immediate hurdles that you had to kind of overcome at that point? As as, as a player, I guess the, the immediate hurdle was just how, you know, how fast the game was. You know, you, you, you don't realize, you know, how big and strong and fast the next level is. I thought the ACC was – you know, it was a lot of talented players, but you get to that next level and until the game slows down a little bit, you struggle, you know, you got to regain your confidence and, and you, you know, you really have to mentally, you know, prepare, you know, you just can't just walk out there and play. 
So I think that was the biggest struggle that I had early on was just kind of slowing the game down and, and, and getting that confidence and that swagger back, you know, but once, you know, once that happens, you know, things kind of work out a little better. Well, Chris, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about your pro career and, of course, your business career and your family. But uh, if you miss our Italian Impact Weekly Show on Thursdays from 5 to 6 on WKHB Radio here in Pittsburgh at 6.20 a.m., 102.1 FM, you can catch the archives on www.italianimpactweekly.com. We've had such great guests as Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, and uh, on November 2nd, we're going to have the subject of the movie Invincible, Vince Papali, former Philadelphia Eagle. That'll be a great show as well. For comments and questions and other uh, things you may have for us, please go to questions at Italian impactweekly.com and to hear our other show talking business and life with claudio Rosano and steve mancini please go to crsmedia.com to listen to that show and if you're interested in hosting your own podcast under the umbrella of empire media ventures please send us a note and we will definitely help you with that don't forget about my other show claudio Rosano show brought to you by oh i, I was going to do the damn commercial i'm so used to doing the commercial steve okay go to that show at uh, claudio Rosano.com. i've had such great guests as Ken Griffey Sr., Jerry Cooney, Dick Vermeil, Al Oliver, Rocky Blyer, Sid Bream, Jim Rooker, Roman Gabriel, a bunch of great guests. And don't forget about my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not to Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. You can get that on my website at claudiorelsano.com or our publisher, johnmelvinpublishing.com or barnesandnoble and amazon.com. And don't forget, if you haven't bought your tickets yet, we're looking forward to seeing you at the fundraiser for La Scuola d'Italia, Galileo Galilei. That's November 11th. Go out to our website, italianimpactweekly.com. Catch the link out there to the fundraiser. Again, we're going to have some great guests, great music, great entertainment. The most important thing for any Italian fundraiser, there will be bocce. But uh, as everyone knows, there will be a lot of food. And then if there's not enough food, we'll have more food. And then we'll have some wine. So it's November 11th. Go out to the website to get your tickets. Tickets are on sale for the big fundraiser. Again, La Scuola d'Italia, Galileo Galilei, November 11th. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks to Greater Pittsburgh Travel. For any of your travel needs, let Tom and the team at Greater Pittsburgh Travel know, and they'll take care of you. For more information, call 412-331-2244 or visit their website at www.greaterpittsburghtravel.com. For all of your plumbing needs, be sure to try Pellucci Plumbing. Nick and the team have decades of experience and will get you back up and running. For more information, call Pellucci Plumbing at 412-782-5050. And we want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. If you're interested in learning more, you can find their contact information on Facebook at Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, thanks Domenica and the team at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh for your support. And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. That's La Scuola d'Italia. Galileo Galilei. You see how I went into my show, the Claudia Rossano show, brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care. So I'm used to, so used to saying worry, that. Don't worry, Chris. We're going to cut this part. But. Ah, leave it in. Give it some extra. That's right. how I make my bones. All right, you're All right, welcome Chris. back now. All right. Now, uh, to talk about your pro career. Uh, the start, I, I love the exit interview uh, story that you have with Matty Gukas. Uh, tell us a little bit about your pro career. In my pro career, you know, I got drafted um, the 36th pick, which was in the second round, and um, uh, Orlando Magic had three point guards that were under contract, so I knew it was going to be uphill battle, and I went into camp and didn't play well at all, as I mentioned. 
game was fast, lost my confidence. When it was time for the last cut, you know, Coach Gukas brought me in, you know, said, Chris, you know, thanks for, for you know, working hard. Thanks for being with us. But, you know, numbers aren't going to work out. You know, we're going to have to let you go. And at that point, I said, you know, Coach Gukas, I want to thank you for that opportunity that you've given me. Um, I really want to know, you know, honestly, what you think are my weaknesses? You know, what, what do I need to work on in order to play in this league? And he went on and, and told me, you know, a number of different things. And, and um, you know, when I left, you know, 20, 30 minutes, you know, after the, the beginning of that, you know, I went back and, and worked on, you know, worked on my game and, and did everything I could, went to the Raleigh Bullfrog. It was like a minor league team. And, and lo and behold, you know, about a month or two later, I got a call and um, I was going to be called up both point guards got injured on the same day and I flew out to Denver and um, actually started his only start of my career was the, the first game I played in. and uh, played real well that game. And, you know, on that West coast trip, you know, we, we were out there probably for 10, 11 days. And, you know, I remember um, running into to coach Dukas at, at the hotel lobby, you know, we started talking and, you know, I asked him, I said, Coach Lucas, why'd you, you know, why'd you call me back? You know, why me? And he said, Chris, I'll be honest with you. There was a lot of other players that were probably more talented, but I've never had someone handle an exit interview the way you did. And he said, mostly I'm being cursed out and those conversations don't last long. He said, the fact that you wanted to know how you can improve, how you could get better, you know, I wanted to give you an opportunity. And he said, I'm happy I did. And I said, well, I'm, I'm happy you did too. <laughs> so I ended up playing uh, two years. My second year uh, with Orlando, uh, Shaquille O'Neal was a rookie. So that was um, really just uh, night and day from my first year where a lot of people didn't even know who the Orlando Magic was. But when um, Shaq came, it just, uh, I mean, we would we would go into lobbies and there would be just full of people. They just wanted to get a glimpse at them. And, you know, it just was, was a much different atmosphere than the first year. And uh, my third year ended up signing with the Boston Celtics. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I got to play with Robert Parrish, who's, you know, part of the big three for many years. Sure. And the last year of, of the Boston Garden. So I went from Orlando that was new and bright and, had all the technology to, to the Boston Garden where, you know, locker rooms were falling apart. They weren't going to fix them up. Because <laughs> so it was, it was uh, vastly different. Um, and then I, the, the remaining eight years uh, I spent in Europe and uh, had just an absolute great time with not only the basketball end of it, but, you know, learning different cultures and language and, just immersing myself and and I really took advantage of the opportunity being there 10 months at a time and you know I didn't I didn't like staying in my room and I wanted to be out and and just experience all, all the different culture. Chris let me ask you a question I'm curious about something you know you you said they're used to a player kind of cursing them out and, and I can I could see that they're flustered you know they think everybody you know that it's that cocky you go in there and you think ah, I sh I'm good enough I'm ready to be on the pros what do you mean you're cutting me and uh, so I yep. can get that. And that's the whole don't burn bridges because, you know, you don't know when you're going to need this again. But I do want to ask you something because I am curious when, 
when a player is drafted, I know that there are, most teams do not think when they draft a player they're ready to go. But when he gives you something to work on, or, and just kind of in your experience, generally speaking, with having been you know a professional player and seeing other rookies and overseas, do they honestly, and I know this is going to be a weird question, but do they honestly expect massive improvement? Or do they think like, hey, if it don't work out in a year or two, you probably don't have it. You know, I think that varies from sport to sport, but but I I, I think in basketball it's different. You know, you, you you're expected if you're a first rounder, you're expected to contribute right away. Where I know is, you know, football is a little bit different, and obviously baseball is totally different. But but basketball, if you're a first round draft pick, you know you're supposed to to you know definitely be in the the lineup and and contribute. Now, you know as you grow, you know you're and you get more experience, you're, you're going to become a better player. But, but I think, you know, most rookies when they get drafted, you know, it's, it's not like a quarterback in football where, you know, they really need to learn how to read defenses and, and things like that. I think basketball, you know, you, you, you better get in there and be ready to go. Well, the irony though, really quickly though, is that you said that on quarterback. Now it seems like these drafts, almost in all the major sports now, to your point, the first round, they're expecting these guys to drop right into the lineup. And they don't get. And when they do draft first round, it's kind of like, well, why isn't this guy starting? Why isn't this guy starting? To, to your, and that's almost Hello. almost any sport nowadays, with the exception of maybe baseball. I think baseball is one of the few that I don't think that when they draft a player, they they think he's coming anytime soon. I could be wrong on that. All right, Chris. Now, when you were done playing, uh, first of all, when did you know you were done? Uh, when you wanted to be done. And when did the transition go over to business? I know I'm always interested in people's, because I'm looking to transition one of these days as well, uh, from baseball to, to business or media, whatever <laughs> I'm going to do. But how was that transition, and when did you know you had to do it? You know, I was, um, you know, in my kind of, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th year, I would come back in the summer, and I was getting into real estate, and I was, you know, buying houses and fixing them up and I was investing in different things. So, you know, I, I kind of had an idea where I wanted to start. My kids were getting a little bit older. My one son was born in Turkey. And at the time, you know, I had, he was seven and my other son was five and my daughter was three. They, they were living a life that, that, you know, it was good, but I wanted them to have some roots in one city and go to school and make friends and, and those type of things along with just feeling beat up. You know, my body was, I had some, some foot surgeries and, you know, I just was at a point where, um, you know, I did it. I enjoyed it. You know, um, 11 years after college to me was, was just the right time to kind of put the shoes down and, and settle the family down and, you know, start start the next chapter. And besides real estate, and obviously we'll get to try on title agency, what were some of the other businesses that you were involved in and maybe still involved in? Yep. Well, I started out in real estate and, um, and I was an investor. I still am an investor, but I did that as a residential real estate agent. I did it for about a year and a half. And um, a funny story is I ended up going to an NC State basketball game and it was halftime, and I went up to the concession stand, and the guy tapped me on my shoulder, and he said, how would you like to buy a mortgage company? 
And I turned to him and I said, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm just trying to buy a hot dog right now. <laughs> <laughs> so about three weeks later, I ended up buying um, a, a mortgage company. And I ran that for, we had 12 people at the time. We built that up to 160 people and sold that probably uh, seven or eight years ago. And all along, I had a title insurance company that kind of, you know, paralleled the mortgage company. So was doing both of those things. Once I sold the mortgage company, I transitioned, you know, 100% to the title insurance side. And um, two years ago, we, we sold the title insurance company, but I still have uh, ownership. I have 10% and I've got an earn out. So I'm still with the title insurance company, but a venture capital group out of Boston uh, is the primary, you know, uh, owner of it. Okay. Now, was was there a period where from basketball to business, was there ever a downtime or the things weren't going the way you wanted or how was that? I was very fortunate, you know, go, going into residential real estate, you know, having, you know, having a name like Corciani is one that stands out and, mm-hmm. and having played in a hotbed uh, in, in, you know, this area, it, it really, it, it, it enabled me to, to get off to a real fast start. And so when I jumped in, I was, I was very fortunate, did well from, from day one in, in real estate. And a lot of that had to do, you know, I always credit the opportunity that NC state gave me to, to play in the ACC and, you know, basketball in this area is, it's crazy. And between Duke, Carolina and NC state, you know, the, these fans and the people that live in this region, they know every player and where they're from and what they do. So when I went into to, to real estate, just name recognition really gave me a head start. Yeah, Chris, I was going to ask you that. You know, a lot of people, it's funny because we've interviewed a lot of athletes, and I mean, almost every one of them has done real estate at some point. And uh, I guess the question becomes is why? Because not everyone, it's not a guaranteed success. And not only why would you, why did you take the chance on that particular business, but this is kind of a tough question, but don't take this the wrong way, but what made you think you were going to be successful at it? Um, well, I wasn't sure if I was. That's an honest answer. Well, that's I mean, that's, I, uh, that's why it's an investment. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you know, everything that I've ever done, I've, I've done to the best of my ability, and, and I've worked hard, and nothing's ever been given to me. And, and I knew that was going to have to be the same thing, but I tried to kind of use my athletic background to, to really get my business career off. You know, I think that if you work hard and you're disciplined and you make a realistic set of goals, you know, and you follow that, you know, th- then, then a lot can be accomplished. But, you know, I was, I was disciplined. I, I would call for sale by owners and, you know, half the time, you know, they, they weren't interested at all. And I call them back the next week and the following week. And I built my real estate business, uh, really going after for people that were trying to sell their house by themselves. And eventually my persistence, you know, paid off and I would get their listing and then I would buy them a house and, and, you know, a year and a half into the business, you know, I had, I had over 60 listings that were live, but, but I, thought that there was a greater opportunity buying the mortgage company. So I exited real estate at that point. 
Chris, I like what you said because I'm trying to do the same thing as far as leveraging my baseball career into you know, the next uh, set of things I'm going to be doing. Now, um, I've studied so many athletes, I've said it on this show numerous times, and you're one of the people that I've studied and admired, obviously on the court, but off the court. But who are some of your business role models? And even and also some of the books that have helped you and had impact in your life? Some business role models. I mean, none, none are jumping out. Um, there's a lot of local business people here that I, I kind of talk to and and, uh, you know, pick their brain. I was big into, you know, if you're going to drink coffee in the morning, drink it with someone else so that you can, I like you that. know, listen and learn. You know, you, you've got to eat a sandwich or a burger, you know, eat it with a potential client or, or someone. You know, so I, I tried to, to really listen, learn. You know, I think that some people, when they go into business, they think they have all the answers. And, you know, I certainly was not one of them. You know, I, I knew uh, I knew I was going to work hard. I knew I was going to be disciplined. I knew I was going to treat people that way I want to be treated. And, and uh, a mentor of mine many years ago said, uh, he said, Chris, a lot of people are going to know who you are because of your playing days. If you ever get into handwriting notes, you'll be ultra successful. So I've gotten, I must have written in my career, I mean, thousands and thousands of handwritten notes, even if it's someone that I met out and put a business card in there. And as I grew my, my mortgage business and I grew my title insurance company, all of my salespeople, you know, they had to do that. That was part of their job was handwritten notes. And the funny thing is uh, two of my older boys work for me now. And they, they scoffed at the idea of, you know, I won't, I'll just send them an email or a text. I said, no. I said, people don't get handwritten notes anymore. You know, that's kind of an old thing. I said, if you have an older client and they get a handwritten note from a younger person, it's going to really impact them that much more. So there's little things in business that, you know, I think everyone can do that really, you know, ends up setting yourself apart. That's the big thing in business is, you know, how do you set yourself apart from all of the other mortgage lenders or all of the other title insurance companies? And, you know, that's one that, that I've um, adopted a long time ago. And it's been probably the, the, the one thing that's helped me more than anything. Great answers, Chris. Great now, answers. Chris, it's funny you said about not drinking coffee alone, but I don't know if talking to the voices in my head in the morning counts as another person, but uh, if they do. Well, like I said, if uh, if talking to the voices in my head in the morning when I'm drinking coffee counts as another person, then I'm drinking. I'm never <laughs> drinking alone. Um, no, but I do got a kind of a little serious question, though, because, you know, there are just some people that are not successful no matter how hard they work. And a lot of it is just the dumb decisions you know, maybe it's sometimes, I mean, I hate to say it, there is an element of luck in life. I mean, some people just, I don't know, there's just a rain cloud over them. No matter what, you know, like you said, they could, they could make an investment. It seems perfect. And all of a sudden, you know, a hurricane comes and wipes it all out. But you, like you said, it's hard work, luck, and good decisions. But that doesn't apply to everyone. But as a result yeah. of that, you've created, you've created a successful environment, successful business. You are a successful person. What kind of advice do you give those folks, whether they're young or even not so young, and they're not successful? And you, you say, you know what? If I were you, I would do this. Just generally speaking, what is some of that advice you tell people? 
Well, you know, I, I, I would agree with, with most of that. I think there's different levels of success. Agree with that, right. It's not all monetary. I, no, it's not all monetary. And, and I think that, you know, if, if, if you map out something and you say in, in three months I want to be here, in six months I want to be there, and you follow a game plan, and, and whether that be writing handwritten notes or making sure you have, you know, three lunches set up with realtors or whatever the business may be, or you uh, invite an office out for drinks and appetizers. If you are disciplined, I think it's hard not to have success at some level. You know, I think that people feel that they're going to jump into business and they're going to wake up and, and, and go to work and it's just going to start raining down on them. And, and that doesn't happen. You know, I've always told people, I got my most success and happiness when I saw others that followed a model that I put in place when I saw them succeeding. That really gave me a sense of accomplishment. You know, I think, again, as athletics translates to business. And, and as a business owner, I always wanted to, to have employees that had some background, you know, whether that be you know, a, a high school cheerleader or a high school football player at some level, just being on time and, and being disciplined and being coachable. All of those things are, are, are things that help you become successful. Chris, uh, you talked about your sons and your daughter. Tell us a little bit more about your family now. So I've got four kids. Two of them uh, live in Charlotte, North Carolina. My oldest son has a 14 month old <laughs> and, uh, and funny i was i was chris senior he's chris jr but we're huge philadelphia phillies baseball fans. right i knew that so my grandson is bryce <laughs> after, after bryce harper sure <laughs> but um my second son uh lives in charlotte as well my daughter uh, works for a personal injury attorney in Charleston, South Carolina. And my youngest son is a sophomore at NC State. My wife, we've been married uh, a year and a half. It's my second marriage. She just kind of keeps me in line all the time. <laughs> all right. Now, whenever you, I, I mentioned at the outset of the show that you are now number two all time, first one to get to 1,000 assists. Do you ever sit back or take a walk by yourself. And I know you like the water. I know all kinds of things about you, Chris, but when you're <laughs> on a boat, do you look back and say, man, look at all the things that I I've accomplished. You know, I, I tell you, as the older I get, I'm 55, you know, I end up, it, it's neat when your kids want to hear about it and your kids want to see old videos. We just watched, a, a, I got COVID with my, uh, son Tommy, and we spent ten days together, just the two of us. And, uh, he wanted to see old videos, and he was YouTube. And we ended up watching Orlando Magic, Chicago Bulls game where I was guarding Jordan. <laughs> and um, you know, and those those are times when you kind of reflect and say, "Wow, you know, <laughs> this was a pretty good ride." You know, at sure. the moment, you you never think about it when you're going through it. But the older I get, having played at a very high level and having an opportunity to play with great players and great teams, 
you, you do reflect on it a little bit more, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's certainly a sense of pride. Chris, let me ask you a question. Is there anything, is there anything in your life that stands out is, is something you would say, that was a moment that defined me? moment well i touched on the 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 first part um you know with maddie gukas and and handling adversity the way i did you know that that was um you know that that was one of the biggest things you know i'm happy i didn't go into coaching and and i had an opportunity when i was finished playing uh ball um and i'm happy i didn't do that because uh you know the business world has given me you know, every day, I think there's a saying, you know, you never work a day in your life if you love what you're doing. Right. And I've never worked a day in my life. You know, I think you make certain decisions uh, in your life and, and you know, they, they impact you sometimes short term, sometimes long term. But, you know, not going into to, to college coaching was a, a blessing, you know, to be able to, you know, have my family get rooted in, in an area and, and also be able to get started with my business career. Finally, Chris, what's next for Chris Corciani, business-wise and personally? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I want to do anything else. I good. Yeah, that's good. Talked talk to my wife and kids, and and I've told them. I said, you know, my dad passed away at 61, mm-hmm. and and I'm and I'm 55, and I love boating. I'm actually taking taking my boat tomorrow morning from uh, North Carolina down to Miami. I keep my boat in Miami for the winter. And um, if something kind of comes up in my lap, I, I certainly will, will take a look at it. But I just want to enjoy, enjoy my life and enjoy my, my family and, and uh, grandkids. And my, uh, my wife has a, her daughter has a three-year-old grandson. So, so together we have two grandkids and we love being around them. And hopefully uh, I'll have a, a number, a number of them pop up over the years. So. Sure. You know, I, I always say I never rule out anything, but, you know, I like just kind of taking it easy. Well, Chris, you know, if the good Lord and hard work and, and smart decisions have put you in a position in life to do that, then you absolutely should. I mean, at the end of the day, I believe that uh, our lives are obviously the product of all of our decisions. We all make dumb decisions. We make good decisions. It's just every day. But, you know, sometimes something comes along that allows us to just be a little bit ahead of the game and put us in that position. So you know what? I know that I wish you all the best. Um, everything, Claudia. Claudia, loves you. I mean, I, first time I've ever spoken to you. Uh, I think you're a great guy. I do wish you the best of luck. One thing I like about doing this show is that I get to talk to a lot of people that I, that I would have no other reason to talk to except through the show. And, you know, I, I will say this, that when, I, when we have these conversations, you get to know a person. Because, you, you know, a person starts to kind of open up and, you, and they reveal things and they don't even know they're revealing things. You know, and I'm kind of yeah. learning a little bit about you. And, uh, you know, I really do mean this. I wish you the best of luck. I, I got a sneaky suspicion you're, you're a great guy. You've <laughs> done nothing, you know, you've done nothing but succeed, it seems, in life. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you spending time with us. And I know you're a busy guy because you're not retired sitting on a beach, you know, drinking pina coladas. So I just want to thank you personally again for being on the show. And we do appreciate that. No, my pleasure. And like you said, you know, athletics have given me the opportunity to meet you two and have this opportunity to share my story. So, you know, I've, I've been blessed and uh, I'm very fortunate for the opportunities that, that have been presented to me.
Chris, I was going to send you an email, but now you, I'm going to write you a handwritten letter to thank you. <laughs> and, and I appreciate you, and it's a thrill for me. And we didn't bring up the fact that you and Tommy Guglati got kicked out of a basketball game. I'm oh, one of the few guys goodness. that didn't bring that up. <laughs> I appreciate well, good, you. Good, 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 and thank you. All right, you got it, brother. Thank you so much, and continued right. success. Thank you for everything. Thank you, guys. All right, bye-bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, Steve, final thoughts? No, it's a good interview. I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I mean that sincerely. When you start to talk to these folks, you know, it's easy to see an athlete on a piece of paper and say, oh, they're just an athlete. You know, they're people at the end of the day. They got wives, they got kids, they got careers. They're not going to be an athlete their entire life. And now something else he said that a lot of people don't really appreciate. You know, it's look, we, you and I have talked about this. I do think a lot of these guys are way overpaid. It's ridiculous what we're giving people to just play a game. But at the same time, you know, when you look at some of these guys 5, 10, 20 years after they retire, man, they're a mess. They're a mess. It's not like they're out there partying every night at the club enjoying the $100 million. I mean, uh, was it Bettis, the one that you saw how you couldn't even walk up the stairs? Yes, that's right. I mean, they've got all of I mean, these guys, they pay a price for it. Now, again, do I think some of them are overpaid? Absolutely. But a lot of them are good guys. You know, and gals too, you know, with professional women athletes, is the same thing. That they're good people. They have lives, they have stories. And I, and I actually enjoy it because you're like, huh, wow, I didn't know that. And boy, damn, they love real estate. I don't know what it is. Well, for me, I've always been attracted to the athletes because that's my, my world who did well after their careers because I'm trying well, to. They don't do all because they, they don't all end but up. The right guys, but the guys that right. I've been friends right. with or admired have. Right, no. Okay. no. So I'm trying but that's to, not a given just because you made no, $100 million. Oh, no, no, but no, you, no. to your point, though, right. right. So, so they can't all just assume, oh, I got $100 million. Right. I'm going to be successful. Oh, no, you ain't. No. There's more to it than that. So, I'm again, I, I'm i 59. I turned out, but I'm trying to still learn, trying to be better, trying to do my thing after the baseball stuff is over and the other thing too about all the people that i've mentioned on this show or that i've become friends with they're good people somebody could be a great baseball player great football player great basketball but if they're bad people then i don't want anything to do with them so if they're good people like i get asked all the time what kind of player do you want to coach i want good people who can play that's simple who do i admire good people who are successful i don't want to have to be yelling on the bench and if you've seen anything about the way i coach I sure would like to have a team of 20 good people. Oh, I know, I know. But I thought that was a good interview, and uh, we've had some great people on the show, and uh, Chris adds to it. All right, I do appreciate it. As always, we appreciate our listeners, and for real, we hope to see you November 11th with the fundraiser. Claudio, any last words? Any good events coming up that folks can uh, either see us or uh, join us? Well, I think that when we did the Columbus Day Parade, that was nice. Both you and I were in it, and uh, our TV show, The Boxing Authorities, this Thursday is the award show. Um, hopefully, we, will, we were nominated for Where two. Where is that? The old Allegheny Center Mall. It's called Nova. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, That's yeah. Nice. So, they, they did a nice job of uh, re- renovating They that. did. And uh, we're up for two awards, and uh, hopefully we hopefully, hell, hopefully we win both of them. Good luck, But uh, we have a good group, so we'll see what happens. But everything's good. One Day Italian Impact Weekly will be on there, buddy. Oh, yeah, I hope One so. Day. Why not? Well, well we come, you know what's funny is we're in October already, and uh, – we hit a year in what early February, so we're not we're not too far off from our one year mark yeah, at least. That's, big that's big crazy. party, Claudio yep. Street. Not Anyways, um, all two of us. All right, uh, all right, folks. Thank you very much, Claudio. Last words. Always. Thank you for tuning in, and as all thank you, uh, Joe Hill, our producer, and as always, thank you, Mom and Pop.